Amen. Well, it was around 300 years ago when the famed father of science, Sir Isaac Newton, he set out to solve the secret regarding the soon return of our righteous Lord, Jesus Christ. That's right. Isaac Newton was not only a brilliant scientist who gave us the law of inertia and the law of universal gravitation, uh, but he was also a committed Christian who dedicated much of his life to understanding the prophetic timeline, uh, which we find presented in Daniel chapter 9. Based on his study of the scriptures, there were uh, many who took his research and concluded then that the rapture of the church would happen on September the 23rd, 2015. And guess what? They were wrong. We're still here. And as we consider the mistake of those date setters, you know, it's important for us to understand that church history is actually filled with many false teachers who have presented predictions regarding the rapture of the church as well as the day of Christ's second coming. Uh, For example, there was a Roman priest living in the second century who predicted Christ would return in 500 AD. He based his calculations on the dimensions of Noah's Ark, and he had a wonderful, uh, you know, presentation that he could take the dimensions of Noah's Ark and put together all the numbers, and voila, there you have it, 500 AD. And and as you probably guessed by now, uh, he was wrong. Later in 999 AD, there was you know, a, a heightened level of hysteria because many people believe that Jesus would return with the coming new millennium. And while some people went ahead and partied like it was 999, others expected Jesus to arrive at the beginning of that new millennium. And, and so they were, they were waiting that night for the return of Jesus. And as you guessed it, they were wrong. John Wesley believed that Christ would would, uh, return in 1836, and and this was based on an interpretive calculation from Revelation chapter 12, verse 14, where John talks about the time, times, and half a time. And so based on his calculation, he determined that 1836 would be the end of the age. And now we can say for certain that John Wesley was wrong. There were many who believed that the return of Halley's Comet in 1910 would, uh, you know, was actually evidence of the Lord's return. They thought that Jesus was coming with this comet. However, the comet, well, it was just a comet and nothing more. And those who thought that this comet was actually the second coming of Christ, they were wrong. In 1988, Edgar Wisenat's book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988, was released. And and according to this author, there were 88 reasons to believe that the rapture of the church would happen on the Feast of Trumpets in September of 1988. And I, I can't even tell you how many Christians there in the 80s bought this book and just were completely convinced that this is it. He, he unlocked the code. He, he figured out how to, how, how to, you know, find the date. And then they all found out that he was wrong. And that didn't stop him from writing, writing a new book in 1989, which was titled, get this, 89 Reasons to Believe the Rapture is in 1989. To put it in baseball terms, strike two. He was wrong. In 1998, a Taiwanese cult operating out of Garland, Texas, of all places, predicted Christ would return on March 31st, 1998. 
The group's leader uh, announced that God would return and, and then invite uh, all the cult members aboard uh, his UFO. He was wrong. Who can forget the millennial craze that occurred in 1999 as if God was basing his prophetic plans on the Gregorian calendar? They were all wrong. More recently, Harold Camping became famous for his predictions that uh, May 21st, 2011 would be the day of judgment. And when May 21st, 2011 came and went, Harold Camping then realized that he forgot to carry the one when he was crunching the numbers. And so he, you know, recalculated his, his estimations and discovered that, oh, no, the day of judgment would occur on October 21st, 2011. Sadly, all of Camping's followers woke up on October 22nd, 2011, only to discover that Harold Camping was wrong. Back in 2014 and, and 2015, many believed that the rapture of the church would correspond with four blood moons. And so, you know, when now all, all that failed to line up, others shifted their hopes to September 23rd, 2017, which was an alignment of the stars and planets that appeared to be a fulfillment of Revelation chapter 12. And they were convinced this is it. This is when the rapture of the church will happen. When that failed, it was 2018. When those who were certain that the rapture of the church would occur in 2018, they, they, they were convinced that this was going to happen when, El, uh, when Israel celebrated the 70th anniversary of their rebirth. And this was the fig tree blew up, you know, blooming and budding. And this is, this is it. This is what Jesus was pointing to. And then the 70th anniversary of Israel's rebirth came and went. And all those who thought that was going to happen in 2018 were wrong. And there are those who are cer were certain that the rapture of the church uh, was going to occur last night. On the first day of Sivan. One reason for this belief was because they started listening to a teacher named Stephen Dexter who has you know, produced several YouTube videos that contain a series of scriptural speculations which led him to conclude incorrectly that the rapture of the church would occur uh, at the beginning of June 1st, 2022. And it's sad to say that videos like his are actually a dime a dozen. Uh, for example, there's another video uh, by Mike at RepoMan64 who assures us that the rapture was supposed to take place on April 2nd, 2022. And while these videos present compelling reasons for us to believe their calculations, we are now completely certain that both Mike at RepoMan64 and Stephen Dexter and his prophetic parallels videos well, both of these guys have joined the ranks of all of those who have falsely predicted the rapture of the church. Without debate, church history has seen its fair share of teachers who have attempted to figure out the day of the rapture and or the return of Jesus Christ. And one reason for why I'm sharing this tonight, well, it's based on the fact that it's not uncommon for Christians to get caught up in all of these calculations and they're convinced by guys like Harold Camping and, and these Weizenhut kind of guys who come along and say, I've cracked the code, I've figured it out, and, and here's my evidence for why this is the date. And then they get us all caught up in, you know, big trees and how, how long a generation is and all these numbers start flying around and we get lost in the argument and by the end of it, we're convinced they, they must know what they're talking about because I have no clue what they're talking about. But they sound convincing. 
And all the pictures on the whiteboard that they had seems right. And I can't even tell you, you know, I've been walking with the Lord since 96. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen Christians fall away after falling into these teachings. They get all caught up in this, this one calculation and they're certain that's going to be it. And then that doesn't come to pass. And then they lose hope and they lose heart and they fall away. Now listen, I, I'm not against speculating and, and hoping. I, I hope the rapture is every day. Every day I wake up and I think, I hope this is the day. So in a sense, I guess every day is the day. And I truly believe that we ought to live our lives as if, as if the rapture of the church could happen at any minute because that's what we're led to believe from the scriptures. At the same time, I also believe that we would, you know, we would do well to, to quickly question the calculations of anyone who tries to tell us that they've somehow solved the mystery. And those who assure us that they know when the rapture of the church is going to occur, well... They have to be reminded of the promise that the Lord Jesus made during the Olivet Discourse. And with this as the focus, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. As you make your way to the 24th chapter of Matthew's Gospel account, I just want to take a moment to present you with a little bit of context here. This chapter actually begins with the apostles presenting Jesus with a question about the end of the age and the sign of his second coming. And that's when Jesus began to describe the events which will unfold prior to the day of judgment. And after describing the troubled times which will fill the earth during the, the dark days of the tribulation, Jesus then presents them with, a, uh, with this, uh, it's actually the fig tree parable. And with this as the focus, I, I want you to look with me here at Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 32. Jesus here declares, now learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. And here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus, he's pointing to the budding of the fig tree as evidence that summer is near. It's kind of a, a no-doy statement here. You know, he's like, hey, when, when you see this happen, that means this is about to happen, right? And more often than not, the teachers who try to tell us that they somehow have cracked the code and calculated the proper date of the rapture, they, they oftentimes build their theory from speculations that they draw from this passage. They want to say, well, this is the fig tree, and this is what the figs are, and this is what summer means, and, and this is a generation. And, and they start, you know, filling in the blanks here. And I'm not opposed to that kind of speculation. I think it's fine to begin, begin saying, well, I think that this means that, and here's why. No problem so far. But most of these deceptive date setters, they overlook what Jesus says there in verse 36 and, and they flat out ignore it because here Jesus explicitly states that no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son himself, but only the Father. 
So while we can attempt to fill in as many blanks as possible, still we're left with no one knows the day or the hour. What about the month? Okay, I mean, you know, maybe the month. What about the year? Possibly. But seriously, at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, you're not going to figure this one out, guys. You're not going to know. You might guess. You know, if I guess every day, eventually my guess will be correct. But I didn't know. It was just a guess. That word know, when he says no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. That word know, uh, found in verse 36, is translated from a Greek word, which was used when referring to the knowledge which is gained through discernment of discovery. No one knows. Verse 36 can also be rendered in this way. But of that day and hour, no one will discover. Not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. Now think about that for a moment. Listen, if the angels can't discover the day of the, the rapture or the second coming of Christ, then, then listen, we, we don't stand a chance. If the angels who have been around since before the creation of the earth can't figure it out, what chance do we have? And while it's possible for a date setter to guess the correct day, it's, it's still just a guess. It's not a doctrinal discovery based upon biblical knowledge. And so they can't actually say, I know this is the day. No, you don't. You're guessing. You've put together some really you know, crafty calculations, but you still don't know. There are those who, you, who will use, uh, actually, uh, they'll, they'll read this verse and they'll dismiss it by insisting, well, that Jesus is talking about, you know, the second coming and not about the rapture. Well, let's not forget that all of these things kind of fit into what uh, we might call the day of the Lord. The day that we're talking about isn't just a day of the second coming. The day of the Lord encompasses the, the full time of tribulation, which begins with what? The rapture of the church. The rapture of the church occurs. The Antichrist is exposed by his seven-year treaty. And, and all of this can be encapsulated in what we would call the day of the Lord. So it's, it's, it's not correct to say, well, you know, Jesus isn't talking about the rapture here. He's just talking about the second coming. He's talking about the entire tribulation time here, which, again, begins with the rapture of the church. Other date setters dismissed this verse by insisting that, you know, this statement was made prior to the day of Pentecost, which is true. And knowing that the day of Pentecost is the beginning of the church age, they argue, well, he's not really talking to Christians, but he's talking to the disciples of Christ prior to the birth of the church. And with that being the case, I want to take some time to consider the question you know, uh, it, 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 here's the question I, I want to uh, ponder for a minute here. Is there any reason for us to think that the day of the rapture is actually discoverable? Is there anything in the scriptures that would lead us to believe, you know, that we can figure it out somehow if we're just a, a smart enough cookie? Well, with this question in mind, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. You see it's here in the first chapter of Acts where we find the disciples of Christ. They're asking the Lord Jesus once again about the day when he would restore the kingdom to Israel. 
They're wanting to know, is this the time that you're going to take the throne of David? Is this the moment when we're going to run the Romans out of Israel? They're still wondering this after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're, they're, they're thinking, okay, now we're good to go. Now we're going to usher in the kingdom, right? With this question in mind, let's consider the Lord's response, which is found there in Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. Here Jesus declares, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. It's not for you to know this. Is this the time? It's not for you to know. I like the way that the scholars of the New Living Translation rendered this verse. They put it like this. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Interesting. In other words, there are certain details about the last days that begin with the rapture of the church, followed by the revealing of the Antichrist, which kicks off the final seven years of tribulation. And there are times and dates within this whole eschatological arrangement that God the Father has predetermined to keep confidential. It's not for you to know. What Was Jesus just talking to his apostles there prior to the church age? Or was this still true after Pentecost? Well, let's consider how Jesus continues to answer this question. Let's look again here at Acts chapter 1. I want to pick up uh, and look back at verse 7. Jesus says, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive special knowledge about the date. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Sorry. I was reading the, uh, the message version, I think. It says there in verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What is that? That's the day of Pentecost. That's the birth of the church. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll know the date of the rapture. Oh, no, 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 that's not what it says. Verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and where? To the end of the earth. The Lord Jesus is helping his disciples to understand that God the Father has determined to maintain this mystery from the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out until the day when the church has finally completed the Great Commission by reaching people at the, at the very ends of the earth. He's talking about the entire church age. Therefore, those you know, who try to tell us that the Holy Spirit was sent to reveal you know, the proper way for calculating the precise date of the rapture because, you know, he's, he's come to, to lead us into all truth. Well, yeah, he's coming to lead us into all truth. That doesn't mean he's going to reveal all truths. The Lord Jesus has already informed us that it's not our place to know the times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, and that is a, con, a, a, a sealing of, of a secret information until when? Until the whole world is reached with the gospel. And, and, and when does that happen? That corresponds with the rapture of the church. So he's talking about the entire church age here. 
We haven't been called to figure out the times and the seasons which, which the Father has put in his own authority, but instead we've been called to be the witnesses of Christ. Or in other words, we've been called to spend this time between Pentecost and the rapture, between the sending of the Holy Spirit and the removal of the, of the restrainer, the Holy Spirit. We've been called to spend this time being a witness by preaching the gospel until the end of the church age. What this means then is that the time of the rapture and the second coming of Christ, it's going to remain a mystery until the day when we finally see these eschatological events taking place. To further prove my point, I want to consider the way that Paul puts it in his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. And with this as the focus, let's turn our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, you see, it's here in 2 Thessalonians where we find Paul. He's dealing with a group of date setters who had somehow convinced the Christians there at the church in Thessalonica that the day of the Lord had somehow already passed. And knowing that these deceivers ha- had caused those Christians to have hearts that were filled with anxiety, you know, Paul is taking the time here to set the record straight. And he did this by helping them to understand that they had been duped by date setters. This has the focus. If you would look with me here at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to begin reading there at verse 1 where Paul writes, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Here we find Paul reminding the Christians there in Thessalonica about the events that would transpire prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, And since those things hadn't yet happened, well then they really had nothing to worry about. They were worried that that the day of the Lord had already come and gone. And Paul's saying, no, no, remember, I already told you about this. I already told you how these things will unfold. And with that being the case, we should take a closer closer look at the details that Paul here is describing. Look with me again there at verse 3. Here again, Paul declares, let no one deceive you by any means, meaning this is something that a lot of people are going to try to deceive you about. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, the day here again that Paul is referring to, it's the day of judgment when Christ returns to judge the nations, and a broader scope of this encompasses the entire tribulation. Therefore, Paul is assuring his audience that the day of judgment won't happen until after the falling away. And it's interesting to note that the phrase falling away was translated from the Greek word apostasia, which is used in reference to a defection or a forsaking of something. And, and so before the day of judgment occurs, there's going to be a defection, which is rooted in apostasy. And, and while Paul doesn't explicitly explain what sort of apostasy this would be, I'll remind you that he's writing to Christians about those who had come in and deceived them. Therefore, it only stands to reason that this apostasy would happen within the church as believers begin to defect and fall away from the faith. Then after the apostasy occurs, Paul tells us that the man of sin will be revealed, which, you know, uh, this is a, a title for the Antichrist. You know, the Antichrist has many different titles. Man of sin is one of them. Son of perdition is another. 
Paul tells us there in verse four that this man of sin opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This, of course, is a reference to the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of by the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter nine. And after pointing to this day when the Antichrist is revealed, Paul goes on to remind his readers that the identity of this nefarious character, it's currently being restrained. And this is a, another point of, of distraction for, for the church. You know, the, there are many in the church who, who spend their life, you know, trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. And yet Paul says he's not going to be revealed till the restrainer's removed. So what, why are we trying to figure it out? If he's not going to be revealed until after the restrainer is removed, then it seems like a, a real waste of time for us to try to unveil someone who won't be unveiled until the Holy Spirit is removed. But I get ahead of myself here. There, there at the end of verse 7, Paul lets us know that he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the one who is restraining the revealing of the lawless one will continue restraining until he is taken out of the way and, and the restraining is over. Now, there are different ideas about the identity of this entity known as the restrainer. Some believe that the restrainer is, you know, human government. Uh, some believe that the restrainer is Michael the Archangel. Uh, some, including myself, believe that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. I have several reasons for why I believe that the restrainer is actually the Holy Spirit of God. One reason why is found right here in the context of this verse, and with this as the focus, I'd like you to notice with me again there in the beginning of verse 7, Paul tells us here that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So, so, so this mystery of lawlessness here is already at work, and then in verse 8, he tells us the lawless one will be revealed. So there's a mystery of lawlessness, lawlessness, which is already at work prior to the rise of the Antichrist, who is the lawless one to be revealed. Paul seems to be poetically connecting the mystery of lawlessness and the man of lawlessness. And not only that, but uh, look with me again there at verse seven, where Paul refers to he who now restrains. Then in the second half of verse eight, Paul tells us that the Lord will consume the lawless one with the breath of his mouth. Now that word breath, it's the Greek word pneuma which can also be translated spirit. In this way, Paul seems to be poetically connecting the restrainer of verse 7 to the spirit of God in verse 8. Based on this, there's a good reason for us to believe that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit who is restraining lawlessness worldwide right now in order to slow the revealing of the lawless one who is the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the human who will be possessed with the devil himself. That being the case, it seems to me here that the removal of the restrainer then coincides with the rapture of the church, which makes perfect bookends for the church age. The church begins with the sending of the Holy Spirit, who then empowers every Christian throughout the church age to do what? To act as the salt and the light of the world. That is part of the restraining of lawlessness, that the church function like salt that slows meat from rotting. 
And then the end of the church age is the removal of the restrainer. And so in the, in the same way that the Holy Spirit was sent to empower the church, the Holy Spirit will then be removed from empowering the church. Why? Because the church will be removed as well. So that work during the church age is over. To prove my point, let's uh, continue uh, uh, holding our place here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 14. You see, it's in John chapter 14 where we find Jesus helping his disciples uh, to understand that he was about to leave them so that he could prepare a place for those who trust in him. And knowing that the the promise of his soon departure would cause them to become anxious, uh, the Lord comforts their hearts by pointing them to the arrival of the Holy Spirit who was sent to help them. Uh, with this as the focus, if you would look with me here at John chapter 14, uh, we'll begin reading at verse 15. Here Jesus declares, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus pointing to this day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is then poured out and given to every born-again believer. And and since that point in time, every born-again believer in the church age has received uh, the, the Holy Spirit who indwells us and spiritually adopts us into the family of God. And listen, the indwelling Spirit not only seals us into the family of God, Uh, But he's also the guarantee of our eternal inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Therefore, when Jesus says that he would not leave us nor forsake us, he's letting us know that the Holy Spirit, who is another helper, that word another meaning another of the same kind, that this helper, the Holy Spirit, would come and indwell us and remain with us until we find ourselves face to face with Jesus Christ. That being the case, I should also point out that it seems likely to me that the removal of the restrainer, who is the Holy Spirit, must also be the removal of the church. Otherwise, the the Lord would be leaving the church behind as orphans. So the sealing of the Holy Spirit uh, for the believers throughout the church age will continue until the restrainer is removed and the church with him. Because the Holy Spirit is the guarantee given to every believer. Therefore, it only stands to reason that the removal of the Holy Spirit is also the removal of the church. In light of this interpretation, I'd like you to turn back with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here we find Paul presenting uh, another play-by-play of how this all goes down. And if you would look with me once again at verse 3, here Paul declares, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, as we put these verses in in a chronological order, we discover here that there's going to be a great apostasy as believers fall away from their faith, which coincides with increasing lawlessness in the world. And then the restrainer is removed, which 
you know, I believe is, is the removal of the Holy Spirit. And if I'm correct, then the church is also removed at the same point in time. And then the Antichrist will be revealed, followed by seven years of tribulation. And at the end of those seven years, the Lord Jesus will return to save Israel. And that's when the Holy Spirit will come and destroy the Antichrist. So now, if you were to ask me when the rapture of the church will occur, uh, my answer is pretty simple. The rapture of the church is going to occur when the restrainer is removed. Yeah, precise time. You know, I, you know, I, I can give you the precise time. When the restrainer is removed, the church will be raptured. Now, I'd love to tell you the day and the hour, and, and I wished it, it, it was today. You know, and we still have a little bit of time left, but... Uh, But I can't tell you the day or the hour, and neither can any other Bible teacher. And the reason why is because it's not for us to know the times and the seasons that God the Father has put in his own authority. That being the case, I encourage you, don't be deceived by these date setters who attempt to convince us with all their corrupt calculations. And listen, they can spin a good yarn, and, 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 they, can, and they can present some arguments that it's just like, wow, th- th- these people sound like they just know what they're talking about. And yet, by way of reductionism, if you can just point at one simple verse that says, no one knows the day or the hour, then all of their arguments are just wiped clean, washed away. Jesus says, you're not going to know. You're not going to know the times and the dates that the Father's put in his own authority, so you just go be a witness. Until when? Until everybody's been witnessed to. Until people at the very ends of the earth have heard the gospel message. That's what you do. But what about the date of the rapture? Don't worry about it. Don't be deceived by the date setters who attempt to convince us that they have somehow figured it out. They haven't. At the same time, I also encourage you to not lose heart like those Christians who are no longer looking for the return of the Lord because, you know, uh, some people ha- have been tricked so many times by these date setters that now they're just kind of like, it's never going to happen. It's just, it's pointless, right? I don't lose heart. In order to grasp my point, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 3. Here in uh, the third chapter of Second Peter uh, we find the Apostle Peter. He's writing about those who would begin to scoff at the idea of Christ's second coming. They'll, they'll, they'll hear again about the second coming of Jesus and the rapture of the church, and they'll, and they'll begin to scoff it. They'll begin to mock it, you know, because, you know, hey, Jesus said he was going to come back quickly, right? And there are many who don't believe it, and so they mock it. It's for this reason that many Christians have, have lost heart when it comes to this doctrine of the second coming, and, and many have, have lost hope in the rapture of the church. For example, you know, there were many Christians who were extremely disappointed when they realized that Jesus wasn't coming back in 1988. And while the, the book 1989, you know, would be the date, uh, while that gave them a little hope for another year, you know, I can't even tell you how many Christians from, you know, the 80s fell away. Because Jesus didn't come back in 1988 or 1989. And I have no doubt that those who were duped by the date setting of Stephen Dexter woke up very disappointed this morning. 
Because yesterday they, they, they believed that they were going to be raptured. And then they woke up today and realized that they were following a teacher who had compelling calculations, but they were completely wrong. Rather than allowing these date setters to disappoint us over and over and over again, I encourage you to consider what Peter wrote here in Second Peter chapter 3. Look with me there, beginning at verse 1. Peter declares, Beloved, I now write you to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, uh, here we find Peter helping his audience to understand that the last days would be filled with those who scoff at the idea of Christ's second coming. And, and just as Peter revealed, uh, we certainly see this happening today. We see all kinds of scoffers out there in, in the secular world who, who, who just you know, completely mock Christians for believing in the second coming. And it's sad to say that there are some of these scoffers who are found within the four walls of the church, so to speak. For example, those who embrace the, the heresy of full preterism. They scoff at the idea that Jesus is going to uh, return in the future. They don't believe in that at all. Why? It would take too long to get into all that, but they just don't believe it. Other so-called Christians have spiritualized the prophecies that point to Christ's second coming, and as a result, they scoff at the belief that Jesus is literally going to return in a physical body. Some think that he's already ruling and reigning over the planet, that we're in the millennium right now. I'm disappointed. If this is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, I'm extremely disappointed. It doesn't line up at all with what was advertised in the Bible. It's like, you know, going, going out for fast food, you know, and you see the picture up on the, uh, up on the menu and it's just, oh, that looks so good. And then you order and it comes out and it's like a hockey puck or something, you know, it's like. I remember ordering a gordita at Taco Bell when I was a kid and, you know, the picture looked so delicious and, I, and, and it finally came out served and I opened it up and it was just like, what? What is it? I just took it back and, and I held it up to the person at the cash register and, and I said, I want this to look like that, you know, and then they took it back and spit in it and all that kind of good stuff. But, uh, but yeah, we, we, we look at the menu item in the picture and think that looks so good and then we, it gets delivered and it's just like that, that looks horrible. And if we're in the millennial kingdom right now, I'm here to tell you that what's described in the Bible <laughs> looks a whole lot better than what we see right now. So I have a hard time believing that this is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And yet the scoffers will insist that we not look for some literal return of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's exactly what I'm looking for because that's what the Bible says. Sad to say that there have been many who have been duped by date setters and, and now scoff at those who eagerly wait for the rapture of the church. And, and there are those believers who have come to the conclusion that the Lord isn't coming back anytime soon. That, you know, I believed it in 88, and I believed it in 2000, and I believed it in 2015, and I'm just done. It's going to be another thousand years, and so eat, drink, and be merry, right? And in this they scoff. 
If you find yourself relating with one of these categories, I encourage you to embrace what Peter wrote here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Look with me. We'll pick up at verse 8 there. Peter declares, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. How long has it been since Jesus left? Two days. It's been about two days. As far as the timing that happens in heaven. Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter here, he's reminding his readers about the reason for why the Lord continues to tarry. And while uh, part of me prays that the rapture will happen tonight, another part of me is hoping that the Lord will continue to tarry so that more of the unbelievers that I care about might be saved. And knowing that the Lord loves them more than I love them. I'm glad he does wait so that they might be saved. Well, it's true that the Lord is currently being patient so that some more might be saved. It's also true that there's coming a day when he will physically return. And when he does, he's going to judge the world in righteousness. That being the case, Peter here encourages his audience to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. As a matter of fact, uh, look with me there at 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll pick up at verse 10. Here Peter assures us that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away and, uh, with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now here we find Peter encouraging every believer to to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord with, with the time frame that we have, however many days that may be. We should live in a a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Rather than living for the lusts of this world, uh, we ought to be conducting ourselves in holiness and and godliness. And not only that, but Peter here also instructs us to to look for and even hasten the coming of the day of God. That's what he tells us, to to look for and hasten the coming of the day of God. And I should point out that, that there's a huge difference between looking forward to the rapture of the church and setting dates based on corrupt cal- calculations. Two different things. I, I seriously look forward to the rapture every single day. At some point in my day, I think, man, this will be such a wonderful time for the rapture. You know, like my foot starts hurting or my back starts hurting or my face starts hurting or, you know, I, I was out doing some stuff with my broken fence today and this hornet came and just nailed me right in the hand and I just thought, oh, this will be a perfect time for the rapture. We ought to hasten the day. How, how do we hasten the day? Get out and share your faith. Get out and preach the word. Get out and, and, and accomplish the great commission. And as we do, let's be those believers who are looking up without engaging in the heresy of date setting. This is precisely the point that Peter is making here in his second epistle. As a matter of fact, uh, look with me again there at 2 Peter 3, beginning at verse 13. Here Peter declares, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot, and blameless. Now, uh, listen, if the Holy Spirit 
had already led Peter to know the day of the rapture, this would be the perfect place for, for him to tell us. You know, if the Holy Spirit led Peter into all truth, and that all truth included the date of the rapture, this would be the place. This would be a perfect opportunity for Peter to say, look for uh, this date. But he didn't. Nor did he provide us with any way to calculate where this date might be. Rather than setting a date here, the Apostle Peter simply encourages every Christian to look forward to the fulfillment of these things. When? Forward. Yeah, look forward. Look forward to the fulfillment of these things. And as we do, let's become diligent disciples who are accomplishing the great commission, being a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. We are to do this as we look forward to the finish line when we'll finally find ourselves face to face with our Savior. Until then, well, it's just important to remember that church history is filled with date setters. I gave a scratch of the surface of all the people who came along at some point in time and said, Eureka, I figured it out. Here it is. And they were wrong. Church history is filled with these date setters who were duped into believing that they somehow cracked the code by figuring out how to calculate the day of the rapture. And not only was this true in the past, but it's true today and it will continue to be true until the rapture. For example, there's one YouTube teacher whose videos are found at Return of the King. According to his calculations, the rapture is going to take place on June 15th. Yeah, in 14 days. Set your calendar. I hope he's right. I got no problem with him being, being right. The only problem is that there's another guy saying the Lord told him October 5th, 2022. Now they can't both be right. They can both be wrong. And as we look at all the date setters in the past, my guess is that they are wrong. Listen, if Jesus says no one can know the day or the hour, and we keep guessing days. Maybe Jesus is up like, well, they guessed another day. It can't be that day then. So stop it, everybody. Stop it. <laughs> stop guessing dates. I can assure you that there are many in the world today who have completely different calculations that would lead them to some other day than June 15th and October 5th. I mean, I'm guessing that the, the, the internet is filled with these people guessing dates and, and trying to calculate the, the, the day of the rapture, and they will eventually be proven wrong. Knowing that these date setters are a dime a dozen, I encourage you, let's make it our aim to avoid the deception of date setters. And, and one way that we do this is by remembering that the Lord has already informed us that it's not for us to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And listen, I, it's easy for me to get caught up in all of this too. I'm here to tell you that, that, that it, it, you know, it interests me to hear these calculations and, and to hear people putting it together with, with this, you know, it, you know, this Jewish holiday and, and, and that event in the scriptures and you minus that and plus that and times that and the next thing you know, you, I'm always just kind of like, wow, how, how did they get there? It's compelling. And yet we have to come back to no one knows the day or the hour. 
what do we do? What do we know for sure? Uh, what do we know for sure, for certain? Well, we know that we have a great commission that we've been called to fulfill. Uh, until, until when? Until the end of the church age. Even if we could know the day of the rapture, how would that change the great commission? If I could prove without a shadow of a doubt that the rapture is this Sunday, would that change anything about the great commission between now and Sunday? Absolutely not. So why are we so interested in trying to figure out the date? What does it change about the great commission of Jesus Christ? What does it change about our call to live in godliness? It changes nothing. The Great Commission is the Great Commission regardless of the specific date of the rapture. That being the case, I encourage you in closing, let's stay focused on our Christian commission by becoming those believers who are serving our Savior with dedicated devotion and knowing that the enemy is going to try to distract us by shifting our focus from this very simple goal. It's my hope that this study will help us to ignore the deceptions of date setters. We look forward to the day when we will finally be face to face with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and for